She wears headphones. If you are interested, their tents are MacPack Olympus tents. Because of a typo, I referred to them before as Marpack. The logo is visible on the front of Radek's tent. She also does not have this tunnel-style tent fully formed. The front arch leads back instead of forward. Maybe she paused in the middle of taking it down. Maybe she just liked the rain falling on the door by her head as she slept. Thorinson, off screen. Oh, hey, finally awake. Lena enters frame from left, and the geography is clear. Radek, Shepard, and Thorinson group their tents close together. Radek's facing Shepard's and Thorinson's. Ventress's tent is the one we saw in the distance a moment ago, and Lena's is a good distance back. The trampled grass and clearing suggests a trail, perhaps. Ventress's tent has the advanced position. Lena's the tail. Radek looks up at Lena passing. Lena, off screen. Hey, give, give me, me a second. second. Angle on Lena, the sun behind her and to the left, which does not match the angle she had just been looking toward it. That should be to the right now. She walks toward camera, but camera tracks with her. Lena, uh, I'm a little disoriented. Lena looks around. Second 37, angle on Shepard. She has a food packet in hand. Lawrenson, behind her, head out of frame, tries to shake something off of her hand. Shepard, join the club. Shepard sets the packet down. Cut to angle on Thorinson. About 80 degrees to the left of that last shot. Another odd cut. But in this particular scene, such cuts work because the women are disoriented as well. Thorinson is still trying to get something off of her hand. Thorinson, you don't, you don't remember, remember setting up camp, camp, do you? And Thorinson looks to her right. Though the previous angle on Shepard could and maybe should have included it, Lena has walked past Thorinson and Shepard. More disorientation for us. Second 41, angle from behind Lena. A glimpse of yellow beyond the green in front of her means she is walking in the same general direction she was, toward Ventress's tent. A direct line should have definitely put her in Shepard's angle, and she should not have been past Thorinson yet at the pace she has been moving. But maybe that is the point, and not just for the disorientation. Like the hypnosis bit from the books for entering the Shimmer, the film does not contradict what I am about to offer, but also does not include it. I have a personal history with time loops, having written many times about them at the Groundhog Day Project. Sometimes I see them when they are not necessarily there. But imagine. These angles that do not match the direction of the sunlight as Lena gets her bearings. This clearing that has seen far more use than just one night. These are evidence of, well, not a time loop exactly, but an explorer loop. Ventress, Lena, Thornton, Shepard, Raddick, Enter the Shimmer, set up camp at this location somewhere around four months ago. They pack up and march to Fort Amaya, have their interpersonal squabbles, their tragedies. Eventually, maybe, one or two of them reach the lighthouse. But whatever happens there, however they come to their respective ends, new Ventresses, Lena's, Thorns, and Shepard's Radics are born from the Shimmer's refraction somewhere close to where they entered. Or maybe this campsite is a good distance in. They set camp again because this clearly looks like a good spot to do so. Lena sets her tent in that same spot every time, leaving a clear trampled space with overgrowth on either side, and each time it looks like an even better place to fit her tent. It is as if that spot were made for her tent, made for her to wake up from that same dream about being in bed with Daniel, that same memory, to find herself in this clearing, in this forest, on a trek to Fort Amaya, and then the abandoned town, and then the lighthouse. Two pieces of evidence. One from Jeff Vandermeer's novel, one from the behind-the-scenes design team. From the novel, quote, I had the distant sense of the weight of my gun dropping to the floor, my flashlight shaking in my hand, though somehow I held on to it. I could not believe what I was staring down at, and I felt lost. 
The trap door opened onto a space about 15 feet deep and 30 feet wide. The psychologist had clearly been here for her knapsack, several weapons, bottles of water, and a large flashlight lay off to the left side. But of the psychologist herself, there was no sign. No, but had me gasping for breath, what felt like a punch in the stomach as I dropped to my knees was the huge mound that dominated the space, a kind of insane midden. I was looking at a pile of papers with hundreds of journals on top of it, just like the ones we had been issued to record our observations of Area X, each with a job title written on the front, each, as it turned out, filled with writing, many, many more than could possibly have been filled by only twelve expeditions. Can you really imagine what it was like in those first moments, peering down into that dark space and seeing that? Perhaps you can. Perhaps you're staring at it now. End quote. The novel is the biologist's journal. Each member of those twelve expeditions is supposed to keep one. Now, there are two potential implications in the size of that pile of journals. One, there have been far more than just twelve expeditions. Two, however many expeditions as there have been, they repeat. Area X, the Shimmer, duplicates and refracts. By the end of the film, Lena has been altered by the Shimmer. She has the tattoo that Thornson had, that Meyer had. She has that glow in her eyes that Duplicate Kane has. But she wins her dance battle with her duplicate in a lighthouse. So she was altered by simply being inside the Shimmer. Or she was already a duplicate in this minute, emerging from her tent time and time again every two to three days for four months disoriented, wanting only to find answers in the Shimmer regarding her husband because she owes him, because she needs that redemption and eventually this leads her to the lighthouse. Or maybe she is killed by the bear some of these times, or killed by Thornton, and Shepard reaches the lighthouse, faces a duplicate of herself and some attempt at redemption for having lost her daughter, or Raddick reaches the lighthouse, or Thornton, or Ventress reaches the lighthouse alone. Not a loop in time per se, but effectively the same. Groundhog Day Project, Day 40, Where Would You Like to Be? I wrote about Nietzsche's notion of eternal recurrence. Quote, It's a way of measuring each and every one of our actions. We cannot isolate the present, cannot think that this is just one-time thing. I'll do it this time and be good tomorrow. With eternal recurrence, this particular day will come again. So what we choose to do will not only have immediate consequences, but we will have to repeat the same decision over and over again. This is how Nietzsche describes eternal recurrence and will to power. Quote, to endure the idea of the recurrence, one needs freedom from morality, new means against the fact of pain, pain conceived as a tool, as the father of pleasure, there is no cumulative consciousness of displeasure. The enjoyment of all kinds of uncertainty, experimentalism, as a counterweight to this extreme fatalism, abolition of the concept of necessity, abolition of the will, abolition of knowledge in itself. End quote. Of course, Phil Connors doesn't experience the pure repetition of Nietzsche's idea. Michael Faust at Philosophy Now suggests that Phil is experiencing something more like Guy Deleuze's interpretation of eternal recurrence. Nietzsche's concept involves the repetition of the same exact events over and over again. As Pythia wrote in Battlestar Galactica, all this has happened before, all this will happen again. But with Deleuze's version, each return of events, quote, selects the life-enhancing while rejecting the life-denying, leading to each iteration being more affirmative than the last, end quote. According to Faust, Faust does point out that Groundhog Day does not wholly fit with this version either, as Phil's journey clearly does not take a strictly improving route. Phil's experience involves neither the return of the identical, 
nor a constantly affirming repetition. And really, this is because Phil's journey is not, however much I may regularly argue otherwise, all of ours. It is not a universal journey except in the abstract. On screen, it is solely Phil's journey. So the level of affirmation possible from one iteration into the next comes from Phil, from where he is in his larger journey. Reuben originally imagined Groundhog Day as, quote, a young man's journey through life like Siddhartha, a 28-year-old man mired in a life of shallow relationships and superficial aspirations, was perfectly understandable to me as a similarly aged man when I wrote it. I never felt those things particularly described me, but I sure knew a lot of people like that. When Bill Murray was cast, the description, late 20s, no longer applied. What's interesting, though, is that the story works just as well describing a man approaching middle age, dealing with what he thinks he wants out of life, and coming to realize what's truly meaningful for him. End quote. And despite what I just said, the story works just as well describing any of us at any time, and it tells us, it tells me, that I am the sum of all my parts. The way to improve who I am in the present is to make sure the positive parts outnumber the negative, not necessarily to destroy the negative or to, as Nietzsche puts it, quote, wage war against what is ugly, end quote, but to affirm the positive, affirm love and camaraderie and all the good things in life. Like Phil Connors coming to abhor his own existence, I could become, quote, an angry spectator of all that is past, end quote, another line from Nietzsche. And like Phil, the one true statement I might be able to say about myself is, I don't even like myself, but I can choose not to. Rather than face all those slaps, I don't have to cheat my way toward perfection only to find it isn't real. End quote. The point is not that everything repeats and you can improve it. As I understand it, the point is that you should make every decision as if you will have to make that same decision time and time again, and you will always make the same choice. The results will always be the same. Lena will always have cheated on her husband. Cain will always have left. The only way she can change anything is to not only survive the trek into the shimmer, the trek to the lighthouse, but to, as she does in this resumption we see in the film, break down the shimmer itself so she and Kane can be together again. Whatever their transformations will mean to those around them, whether they will even be able to survive without the shimmer, whether Southern Reach will let them, their end together outside the bounds of this eldritch landscape is Lena's only victory, her only redemption. But it does not change what she has done, or will do, given the chance to repeat it again. Lena's decisions are always Lena's decisions. Ventresses are ventresses. My decisions are my decisions. Your decisions are your decisions. Further evidence from the film. Lena's and Kane's house, as seen from the outside, minute 6, is the same house where the four women will hole up, minute 66. Perhaps it is simple coincidence of appearance. Military base housing, perhaps, near two different military bases. Perhaps the former was Lena's and Kane's house before the Shimmer had overtaken it, and the latter is Lena's and Kane's house after the Shimmer has overtaken it. Perhaps the flow of time as we see it in the film is itself disorienting. Once upon a time, one variation of Kane escaped the Shimmer to return home. But by the time of this resumption we see for the rest of the film, that has happened long ago. Through iteration after iteration, resumption after resumption, and the Shimmer expanding beyond the Southern Reach facility we saw earlier, Kane and Lena will always find their way to one another. His guilt at leaving, her guilt at cheating will drive them to renew their love no matter what form it takes. No matter what form they take. Damn the rest of the expedition, damn the rest of the world. Second 41. 
We are behind Lena as she heads toward Ventress's tent. She stops and turns to answer Thornton. Lena, I, I don't remember, remember anything. anything. After, After we, we reached reach the, the tree line. line. Second 47, Angle and Shepard crouched down, Thornton standing by her, head and shoulders out of the frame. If we had not noticed it before, I do not think I had, so maybe it was not visible, we can see a bracelet on Shepard's wrist. Purple string, pink and purple plastic beads. Presumably made by her daughter, that we do not know about yet. Shepard, none of us do. Second 49, Angle and Ventress, but where is she? Where did she come from? On this resumption of the loop, she is in the clearing, part of the conversation, but if you take this as just one scene, one instance, then her sudden presence makes no sense. She stands with a rain poncho over her uniform. She holds a thermos with both hands. She wears fingerless gloves. She looks down. But what is most interesting here is where she stands. Behind her, to the right, is one tent barely in the bottom corner of frame. A sensor pole sits in front of it, which might have been out of the shot on the radic angle. Or maybe it just was not there. Behind Ventress to the left are two tents, a sensor pole between them. The prior angle on these tents from the other direction made it hard to tell if that pole was there, but it is the arrangement of these three tents that is problematic. The previous angles suggested that there were two tents next to each other. Taking Thornton and Shepard's position by each other, we might assume the left one is Thornton's and the right is Shepard's. Draw a straight line across the front of them, and it might stretch from Lena's tent farther off to Ventress's tent, currently behind us in this shot. Raddick's tent is on the other side of that line, facing Thornton's and Shepard's. The cut to Raddick just 17 seconds ago put Raddick's tent across from Shepard's, not Thornton's. But from this new angle, Raddick's tent is not across from Shepard's at all. Not even really across from Thornton's, but farther still, in the direction of Ventress's tent. The thing is, when the production set up tents for these shots, they should only have set up the tents once. We never get an establishing shot that shows the entire campsite with all five tents. The scene only lasts this minute, next minute, and less than half of minute 33. This should not have taken more than one day to shoot, and this means just one overall setup. And yet, the tents change positions. Or that shot of Raddick was put in the wrong place. It fell between lines of dialogue, and given Thornton's eyeline just after, Lena's position would have been farther along. But if that shot was in the wrong place, was it on purpose? If the tents were set up twice, were they arranged a little differently on purpose? Are these further signs that what we are seeing in this scene is not just one scene, but many? Further complicating things, if this was the tent set up all along and the editing messed it up, Ventress is standing approximately where Lena is standing on the reverse. Just over her right shoulder, almost blending in with her own parka, is Thorinson's. Ventress has to have walked along right behind Lena, but Lena, turning around, did not react to her. Thorinson's eyeline toward Lena did not suggest another presence. Shepard, speaking just now, was not speaking in the right direction for where Lena should be if Ventress is here. And I backtrack upon noticing Thorinson in the background. My own time loop. Second 31, after Thorinson mentioned the cornbread, the camera is moving along with Lena. Just before it cuts to Raddick, Ventress is visible in the distance at the left edge of the frame almost invisible as her parka blends into the trees. Second 41, we are behind Lena, and I said she was heading toward Ventress's tent, but she is also, sure enough, heading toward Ventress, standing there, hidden in plain sight. Second 47, as Shepard says join the club, in the distance is Ventress, again, almost invisible as her parka blends into the trees. And the quote-unquote mistakes may have simply been in the editing. Shepard, 
off screen, continued. And what the, the food, food inventory? Ventress looks up and to her left. She is listening. Shepard, off screen, continued. From the, the depletion, depletion it looks, looks like. like. Second 53, close on Shepard. Shepard, continued. We've, We've been, been out here for, for at least. She looks up, and the eyeline suggests Lena is much closer than previous shots would suggest. In the script, Shepard says 48 hours. In the film, she says, three or four days. Is this the first and only time these women have woken within the Shimmer? Certainly not. The Shimmer duplicates and refracts. How many times have these women or copies of these women struck camp? How many times have they marched to Fort Amaya? How many times has Lena reached the lighthouse? Minute two, it was made clear that time within the Shimmer does not pass the same as it does outside. Lomax. You had rations for two, two weeks. weeks. You were inside for three to four months. Maybe these women have been copied over and over again and have been repeating their trip for four months. We see only three days within the Shimmer. They spend tonight at Fort Amaya. They spend tomorrow night in the evacuated village. Maybe these are only the last three days of those four months. Or maybe these are the only three days of those four months. A finite loop of time within the bounds of this Eldritch location. Speaking of eternal recurrence and time loops, we do not know why Lena had her affair with Daniel. In fact, the film never really confirms that the affair was going on before Kane was gone, though that is to be inferred. But one could assume that Lena suffers from what Paul Hannum calls in the magic of Groundhog Day, the Groundhog Day effect. Hannum explains, quote, A repetitive pattern in and of itself is not necessarily harmful. Civilization would collapse without the repetitive patterns necessary to the supply of food and energy. As an individual, a regular structure is fine if you are happy in your routine. The difficulty arises if you are not happy, if you are not at peace, if you see no magic in everyday life. It is not so much outer repetition, but inner repetition, repetitive thought patterns, that create the Groundhog Day effect. When we are oblivious to the magic of everyday life, caught in destructive and repetitive thought patterns, our first tendency is often to blame our predicament on our jobs, where we live, or on our partners. We believe that by changing our external circumstances, we will break free from the loop. End quote. Whether it was the tedium of her marriage that led her to stray, or the tedium of life without Cain that led her to go to bed with a co-worker only to regret it, Lena's life before the shimmer had stalled. In just the day we saw before Cain's return, she wavered between a sort of catatonia and overt grief. One could imagine that there was little else in her life, not knowing what had happened to Cain, and now she has answers in this alien landscape if she can only find them, if she can only remember them. Second 57, close on Lena, Ventress's head and shoulders just barely visible over her left shoulder, but also not really visible if you do not know she is there. Lena shakes her head. Lena, that's not possible. Second 59, angle on Ventress, playing with a leaf or a blade of grass, her thermos tucked between her right arm and her side. And time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Annihilation is all we are. 